You are now tuned in to the December 26th podcast, where we encourage you to be extraordinary on an ordinary day. Hey, 26er family, welcome to another episode of the December 26er podcast. I am your host, Delisha, and on this installment of our limited series, The Check-In, we caught up with India Robinson from episode 38. Now, when we first met India, she was in leadership at Fader's creative agency, Cornerstone. Since then, she's taken a major professional leap. She's not only developed her own talent management firm, but she's also serving as president of Listen Up Media, a multimedia company co-founded by two-time Super Bowl champion Malcolm Jenkins, as well as CMO at Malcolm Inc., driving marketing and brand partnerships for Malcolm and his various business ventures. Needless to say, India has leveled up, but not just in her career. She's making her health and well-being a top priority and manifesting a life that is purposely designed. So without further ado, please enjoy. India, welcome back to the December 26th podcast. How are you? I'm great. Thank you for having me. How are you Thanks doing? Thanks for coming back. I'm good. We were just saying offline how you came with this razzle-dazzle uh, <laughs> style happening right now with your accessories in your shirt. And I just <laughs> threw on a cotton uh, crew neck t-shirt for this because it's Saturday. We're going to make it rock. We're just going to let it rock. Oh my gosh. I love it. Well, I'm happy to be back. Thank you. This is an ex- I'm looking forward to the conversation. Likewise. So as we've been doing these, I've been going back just to verify when people were on. Mm -hmm. And it's so funny because I think in my mind, not as much time has passed as it really has in actuality. Right. Right. So you were episode 38. Wow. Wow. And now, you know, we're in, we will hit our 200th episode before the year is over. So congratulations. Thank you. So that's nuts. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, I also know you've been through a lot of change, some career iteration Mm -hmm. through then. So before we get into specifically what your life has looked like in the past year, tell me how your life has changed since you appeared on the show way back in 2018. That's so crazy. 2018. Wow. And it's 2021 now. That's right. Yes. Right. Okay. Uh, so yeah, when we, when we first uh, had our conversation, uh, we were in New York in person, uh, great dialogue, great conversation. I, I really shared so much that was honestly very therapeutic, not only for myself, you know, I think sometimes we never realize, uh, what we've conquered or the triumphs that we've had until we kind of start to unpack them and in real time. And I will definitely say that our conversation was very therapeutic, uh, just for me personally. So since 2018, uh, I've split my time between New York and Los Angeles. Uh, I first came out here to work with an agency, doing some really, really cool things, being able to be a bit more innovative um, and a a lot of different challenges. So my traditional trade background uh, was really kind of like entertainment marketing. Um, And I had always told myself that I really wanted to craft myself as like this true marketing maven where I could do everything from, you know, not only traditional advertising and marketing, entertainment marketing, um, digital, social, even experiential, you know, being able to activate in that way. But the one area that kind of really blankets across all of the field and industry is public relations. And I had never, you know, integrated marketing wise, you touch public relations, but I wanted to really have a comprehensive knowledge of PR. And so I got an opportunity to come out to Los Angeles and work with an agency where I was uh, supporting the brand Old Spice and even being able to touch secret a bit. And that was incredible. So, um, but during that time, uh, I started to really recognize that I 
wanted to live my life a bit more intentionally. Yeah, you know, we have all these goals, we have all these things that we're doing. And I think a balance for me was that I knew that turning 34 this year, I would be officially older than my father was when he died. And so Mm -hmm. that hit different. And I was like, you know what? Let's just go. Like, let's do it. So um, put a plan in place, thought through it, and went ahead and resigned from corporate America indefinitely. And what I will say is that in 2019, when I left, when I left Cornerstone Fader and I came to this new agency, I said to I actually deleted my LinkedIn page. I delete I deleted it. And I said to myself, and I did like my spirit was talking to me, and I was just like, I'm not gonna create another LinkedIn page until the company that I put on there is a company that I run or own. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I find that to be really phenomenal being in 2021 and kind of really keeping that promise to myself, uh, being intentional, even not even thinking through the how things transpired for me to get to the place where it was like, all right, I'm going to go ahead and like leave this role. Uh, but, you know, it happened. And I, and I think that that's I always talk about like manifesting and being intentional, but that is definitely a testament to that. And I can get into a whole testimony about the things that I've done and like how the Holy Spirit has talked to me and like just even praying and talking to God and being like, all right, so what do you think about this? And he'd be like, I know, I already told you. I already told you what it was. So, um, but yeah, so since 2018, I transitioned. I am CMO of Malcolm Inc., which uh, NFL star Malcolm Jenkins holding company where we have several verticals uh, within the span of retail, uh, franchising, uh, media, philanthropic efforts, uh, uh, venture capital fund. And we're actually going to be uh, doing some other extensions to some other verticals that I'm really excited that we'll announce next year. But CMO of the holding company, president of the production company, which is the media entity uh, within Malcolm Inc. And then I also officially started a consulting and talent management arm called Fixate. So that's a lot um, for sure. I mean, it's it's classic and traditional for a 26er to wear that many hats, but to, you know, the average American, it's like, okay, you know, how is all this happening? But we know even when moving in intention and knowing that God called you to something, there are some very real life considerations that happen and we're human. And even when we know in our, in our knowing, in our gut, that this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Sometimes there is still fear or concern or, or worry. So moving out of corporate America in the traditional sense and, and taking the leap into the roles that you're in now, did you feel fear? Did you, did you say, this is what I'm supposed to be doing, but let me have a backup plan or a contingency just in case. What was that thought and emotional process like for you? So I think that definitely felt fear because, you know, I did a budget and I knew what my expenses were. I know what comes in and what comes out and what goes out. And so in 2019, I bought a house in Brooklyn. And then I, in that same year, I moved to Los Angeles. And so, you know, where I'm paying rent and then I'm paying a mortgage. And so for me, I'm thinking about, you know, in a place financially, being financially responsible. And in 2020 being such a tumultuous year because of the pandemic for a lot of individuals, I was blessed to have tenants that paid their rent. You know what I mean? I have a lot of women, there's a group that I'm in called uh, Black Women Homeowners of Brooklyn. And it's, it's tons of us in there. And a lot of them did not, were not as fortunate to be able to have tenants that continue to pay their rent. So I'm always just thinking about, okay, what goes out, what comes in? I bought myself a car at the top of 2020 as a birthday present to myself. That's due every month. So, you know, I'm always thinking about the risk 
Um, and my, my, my great uncle always says to me, he's like, you have to understand your risk tolerance. Right. And I am, I am a bit more risk averse just because I know what the dark side looks like of being, you know, cause growing up and being, having different experiences. It's like, yeah, I don't want to be homeless or I don't want to be house poor, or I don't want to be on the other side of that. So for me, my biggest fear wasn't even about failure. It was about failure in the sense of not being successful in my role, which I think naturally, you know, gravitates and connects to this idea of being, you know, fiscally responsible. But it was just like, am I going to be able to pay my bills? Am I going Mm. to be able to bring in enough clients with my own consulting and talent agency to be able to do the things that I want to do? And that is really what shook me up some, but didn't make me stutter step in the sense that I wasn't committed to doing it. So, you know, I made a plan worked with certain individuals to kind of like think through like just the way that I could be fiscally sound in my finances to make sure that I could do everything that I wanted to do. And even had a, even had a conversation with my business partners being like, Hey, what do you all think about this? And, you know, we were able to lock a lot of things in. And so I think for me, I am, uh, very much aware of the saying that to your point about like, you know, what were those things? It was, you know, I think you have to, you are going to be, fear is man-made. Like it's not from God, like it's not something that exists. And so you've got to figure out how you starve fear and um, feed faith, right? So, and that's something that I repeat over and over again. So how do I starve the fear and feed faith? And uh, I continue to do that and continue to really, manifest the things that I wanted. So I would write things out at the top of the year. In 2020, I wrote stuff out. At the top of 2021, I wrote things out. And it is incredible to see how those things are unraveling and unpacking because I'm really a big component of speaking life into the things that I want and not breathing life into the things that don't serve me. That's a word. So thinking about Malcolm specifically, right? Mm -hmm. Like you've worked, Malcolm's not the first talent you've worked with, um, you know, not the first celebrity. Mm -hmm. What was it about him specifically that made you say, this is a brand that I want to jump in with both feet on and attach myself at the executive level. Right. Uh, So Malcolm, I actually put Malcolm in his first commercial uh, back in 2010. And, you know, he saved my life because I just started working at an ad agency and we had a last minute need. And through a friend connection, we were able to get him in and um, being able to work with his foundation and help when he, he, you know, did his first summer camp in uh, Jersey and just really fostered an an organic and authentic relationship, challenging one another. We think very differently about a lot of things. And I always love that. I love individuals who are not yes men per se, right? Where everyone just says everything's agreeable and we're all like-minded. I'm okay with not being like-minded with a highly intelligent person. And so over the years, you know, we've been able to work together. Um, You know, I got him into a Marriott deal. He did some work with Old Spice as well just because he has an incredible brand. He's an incredible purpose. He's very, very much about uh, excelling the lives or even balancing the lives of black and brown individuals so that the scales are are at least somewhat equal, right? And so creating that equality. And, and I love the mission. I love the purpose behind that and intentionality behind that. And so for me, one of the soundest pieces of advice I've ever received was from uh, Biz Marquis' manager. His name was Monty. He's no longer with us. But he said to me, he's like, when you decide to work with talent, you'll recognize that it's you're working with the right talent when it doesn't feel like work, where you're not where you're not looking at the clock and being like, is it time to go yet? You know, you're not feeling like, you know, everything's a trial and tribulation. You don't want it more than they do. And so working with Malcolm, I can say that he's an incredible 
he's an incredible athlete. He's an incredible father. He's an incredible, all these things that are incredible, but he is an incredible businessman. And the way that he thinks, the way he challenges his, um, you know, his team and his executive team has only made me better. And so when given the opportunity to do this, it was a no brainer because I know that he is going to get it done, not only just because of his passion and his commitment and his leadership. I mean, the man's been a captain, you know, a majority of his NFL career. So everyone sees that leadership in him. And so to have him at the helm and even him entrusting me to be the president of um, his production company is, is phenomenal. So for me, it was, uh, it was just a blessing and it was like a, it was a no brainer. So we know standing up a company even when there aren't these unusual circumstances happening in the world, is difficult, right? Getting things going, finding your rhythm, brand development, brand expansion, selecting products, the projects, getting them into development. It's a lot of different components. Now, when you add quarantine to that and how that really changed the landscape of production across the globe, right? But let's focus on the U.S. Shows still haven't come back that were supposed to be scheduled to to happen. So how did the pandemic really adjust what your goals were with respect to the production company specifically? Uh, So I think, you know, we're really diving into it in 2021. I think, you know, having the initial conversations with, with Malcolm this year around the production company, you know, setting goals. It's like, what do you want to accomplish? What are the things... And, and we established those. So I know what my KPIs are for this year. And I think because 2020 was so challenging, there were a lot of people that were inside, you know, we're looking for writers, we're looking for content creators, we're looking for individuals who have stories to tell and being able to pair that up with the overall mission that Malcolm has about really showcasing that Black and brown individuals are not a monolith and that there are we're not just all celebrities. We're not just all actors. We're not all just athletes. There's we're, we're coders, you know, telling a story about a coder or telling a story about, you know, a lawyer who, you know, has X, Y, Z, like just different things that people don't necessarily imagine or picture that the black story could be told in that way. Like we want to tell those stories. Like we want to tell the awkward individual. We want to tell the insecure individual. We want to tell the confident, but the false sense of confidence. We want to talk about people who have different traumas. And so we know that people were inside in 2020 writing. And what we will take advantage of in 2021 is finding those storytellers and putting them on screen. And so I think from our seat, because we're such a baby in this industry, we're just hungry. You know, people get comfortable when they get to the top, you know what I mean? And so we utilize that as even more motivation for us to continue to grind and keep going, uh, not only with kind of like excellence at the helm, but also being very, very secure in the fact that we don't need to be the smartest person in the room. So that's why, you know, we've locked in representation from a talent agency, entertainment lawyer, uh, publicists within the industry so that we can lean on them and their expertise, their relationships, and then take all of that and kind of garner the content that we want so that we can put it to screen. So you you mentioned, you know, being the little guy in the game. We've seen the headlines of uh-huh. names that we recognize, Black names, uh-huh. inking these deals, like these overall yeah. deals with Warner yeah. and Netflix that are like yeah. worth eight, nine figure, you know, just ridiculous amount yeah. of money, right? yeah. Are you optimistic that those who are in the forefront right now in terms of visibility, black and brown faces to present content are forwarding the same mission of putting forth groundbreaking productions, also presenting us in different lights? Are you confident that that's happening with those who may be more recognizable in this space? 
let alone what you guys are working on for a moment. Yeah, no, absolutely. And we hear it in conversations that we have. Like we, mm-hmm. we're we hearing like, oh, Regina King is doing this. LeBron is doing this. Steph Curry is doing this. Chris Paul is doing this. And so uh, Patrice, she, we see what these people, we hear when we're in the room, Matthew Cherry's doing this. And so it's interesting. We'll have conversations where we're like, oh, you know, there we have an animated piece we want to get out. And they're like, oh, this is very timely. This is something that needs to be told. You know, we want to make, you know, black girls feel confident in this kind of way. And then they'll be like, you know, we had a similar such and such from so-and-so. And so they're happening. People know the need. And, you know, we don't necessarily, we're not in a place where we're going to not do what we want to do or what we feel very, uh, very passionate about because so-and-so is doing something similar. We can tell stories in a different way, in a different voice to get it done. Because the more representation that we see on screen, the better we are going to increase the confidence of these young ones. Because, you know, people talk about representation matters, but it is there. You know, I still think about the fact that I never had a Black teacher until I got to college. You know what I'm saying? And so, and thinking about the statistics about graduation rates and things like that, it's like, if you just see somebody that's doing something that you want and they're not just uh, an athlete or a singer or performer, but they're, you know, they're a person that codes or they're a person that's doing something else that's not in the tech world. And you're like, oh, I'm capable of these things. Like we got to put that stuff on screen. We got to showcase that. There's other ways to be, you know, successful in life rather than just, you know, playing on a field or playing on the screen. So, yeah. Absolutely. And I think too, you really answered my next question, which is these folks who are in the forefront right now. There's Mm -hmm. been a belief in the past that I think that like Hollywood and entertainment and content creators, there can only be one it black company at a time, right? Right. There's not space for all of us to rise. It's like you have that person that's having a moment and yeah. everybody else has to wait. And that happens, I think, sometimes even in the talent perspective. It's For the sure. one comedian that's everywhere. It's the yeah. one, you know, so, um, but I think we are shifting in a way uh, as a community and as a country where there is space. There's, yeah. there's space for many different perspectives, many different creative outlets, many different creative styles, many different creators to really thrive. Um, do you think that that's more driven by, we just have so many mediums now and it's easier to get directly to the audience? Or do you think the industry does have an appetite for uh, a a wide array of of Black talent and Black creators and Black companies kind of coming forth to the forefront? I think it's a mixture of a few things. I think it's one, it's the demand. I think that what we just saw that happened in the Oscars before Oscars so white, I don't know if it would have happened. Right. I think that it's the it's demanding it. It's talking about it's shining a light on the inequality, the lack of balance and representation, the things that happen to be like, this is not OK. This is not a balanced reflection of what the United States looks like across the board. The, the new census released and we see where we are in our numbers. So why is that not reflected in the content, in the toys that we see? Like there's all of these things. And so I think the demand is what's not only rising, uh, motivating people to rise up and be like, I have a story to tell. I'm here. This is what I want. This is what I deserve. And we're equally as talented. Like For people to think that, you know, Black folks can't tell their own stories or that we don't know how to do this and the other, it's just a lie. It's a myth. And, you know, we got to stop subscribing to those false narratives. And so I think that that is on one hand, one of the, the recognitions and people, Black folks, Black and Brown folks are stepping into their power, right? And then 
recognizing their worth and value and demanding as such from the powers that be until we become the powers that be, right? And then I think in that in that vein of only a few of us can make it is just us, We again, we need to unsubscribe to the narrative that, that that's the truth. You know what I mean? We are no longer you know, going to be slaves to those things that held us back. Like we can all win and we should. And, and I, and I, and I want to be an individual that I was an individual. I am where I am today because black women reached back and pulled me up. Right. I am, I am who I am because I was mentored and advised by incredible black women throughout my career who I could lean on and call and see and talk and be reflective um, and reflect to about the things that I wanted, the things that I was scared of, all of those things, those safe spaces, creating that vulnerability. And so I will be an individual, but I see that in the industry too, where, you know, women are, you know, Regina Hall just got a first look deal and she just looked found it. She's, you know, she's securing an executive. Her team is this and that. And, you know, women are doing that. Men are doing that. And I think the teams recognize that there's enough money for us to all eat. Uh, and as it should, because, you know, black folks not only run the culture, run the tell, you know, have the most entertaining um, experiences to showcase within that. Right. But, you know, we should be the ones leading that. It doesn't make any sense for a white, a white executive to be telling my story. And so uh, the more and more that we recognize that we should be in those rooms and we're, we're, we're paying it forward and pulling up another black or brown individual to do that, the more we will continue to win. But, you know, we, I, I see, an, I, I am seeing black and brown leadership across the board who are coming into this production world or media world who are unsubscribing to that narrative that only one of us can make it. And I think that's an important point, right? Mm-hmm. Because we've, I think for a while that was so internalized by so many people yeah. that it would inhibit people from pulling someone else up. It's like, yeah. well, if I try to help you get at the seat, a seat at the table, I might lose mine, right? right. And, and I, don't, I don't think, not all, but I, I don't think most people consciously feel like they wouldn't verbalize yeah. that. Now there's some right. dirty folks who would, they right. wouldn't verbalize it, right. but because of what we've witnessed um, and, and what we've experienced too, that has been internalized so deeply that for a while there, uh, you know, you couldn't get, sometimes you can even have a discovery call with people just to get information. It, yeah. it was just this fear that like by giving, I'm somehow depriving. And um, I've said it before on the show, like I believe in the law of universal supply, like there's enough for all of us to get it. Right. right. The, wor- the world is a big place. Opportunities um, are vast. And if you walk into it and you feed in with that belief, things will manifest. I, I wholeheartedly believe that. Yeah. I, and I am with you. I mean, if that is one thing that I wholeheartedly, it is the manifestation that exists. So yes. And I think that, like you said, people are seeing that, but there are individuals that are still believing those archaic notions. And honestly, I wish them the best because those are not the ones that are going to stay um, at the top as the rest of us continue to pay it forward and push forward. Mm-hmm. So I, I've been having this conversation often uh, with my own therapist, with friends, friends who are therapists. And we've been talking about, about life changes, a lot about that mm-hmm. and making career moves, relocation. All of those things are a life change, whether it affects you on the surface in a negative way or a positive way, it's an adjustment. Right. And that adjustment can cause overwhelm. It can cause exhaustion. A lot of, a lot of different things that, you know, ways in which it can affect you. Yeah. Now, when you add the current political climate to that, the current healthcare landscape, the fact that we're just living in the strangest time of our generation. Yeah. It really elevates the stressors that come in in, in areas that you normally would be able to manage, right? Most of us, particularly as Black folks, 
who are professionals deal with stressors. It's stressors yeah. that have nothing to do with our jobs, stressors in the jobs, all of these things. It seems like you have really been one of those people who thrived this entire time, right? <laughs> so, and, and you, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but like, that's my question though. How have you maintained peace of mind, calmness in your spirit in the midst of all these adjustments with the 24 hour news cycle? That's not positive. There, there are many right. things that have happened. How have you managed uh, to remain at peace, but also productive? Oh, that is so loaded. Goodness gracious. It is. This is what we do here at the show. I, don't, I love it. I love it. But I, it's a good loaded uh, because I think that I operated 2020 in seasons and, and, you know, in my own seasons, not the way that the world tells me it's spring, autumn, whatever. So, you know, at the top of 2020, I'm transitioning to Los Angeles. So I'm splitting my time between the two, uh, getting just adjusted to the new life in L.A., um, I went on, I, I go on, a, I usually go on a trip for my birthday. So when I came back from my birthday trip, we were in lockdown. Right. And so I hadn't really spent a lot of time in Los Angeles before. So a few things, and I think I said this to you on the first time that we talked, I recognized in 2018 that I am going to be my best self, actually 2019, I am going to be my best self. If I take at least four vacations a year. Like I need seasonal vacations. Like I know because I, I'm working 80 to hundred hours. I'm working all the time. I'm working all the time. And so, and, and I'm okay with working all the time because I, I know what the end goal is. And I know that I love what I do, but I know that in order for me just to be my best, the ver- best version of myself, I need to be able to hear the ocean. Uh, Amen. So I Amen. I can send an email, but I, if I'm sending an email next to the ocean in the Maldives, it feels a bit different. You know what I'm saying? So um, come back from my birthday trip with my sister, who I usually travel with. That's my, that's my travel partner. That's my best friend. Love her to death. And when I come back and I had just got a confirmation that I got in my car and I said to myself, because we were in lockdown, I said, you know what? I, my, the car that I wanted, and this is about manifestation. I had told myself that when I moved to LA, I was like, I have to get a car because I'd done the Uber thing for a while. And I was like, that's just not my narrative. I, I cannot do this every day back and forth um, to work. So I was like, I'm going to get a car. And I was like, and I want a car that I want. Like, I want something that makes sense. And I I, I, rec- I recognize that I am very much more organized than type type A um, when I find myself breaking things down. It's the same thing when I bought my house, but I was like, what kind of car do you want? And I was like, well, you know what? Let me just do it. And I thought I wanted like an Audi. And then I thought I wanted a Mercedes. I thought I wanted to, I was like, you know what? I'm going to get a Tesla. I want a Tesla. I don't want, but I, one of my friends who grew up in wealth, uh, and just one of the best pieces of advice she ever gave me, she was like, one thing that the rich know that he's like the wealthy know versus the rich. Cause she's like, wealthy is an investment of time, but there are people who are just rich and they're like new money, like that kind of thing. She's like, the wealthy knows that you never buy a new car. You always buy a luxury car used good mileage, whatever, whatever. So I remember being like, all right, cool. I'm going to buy a used Tesla because it's a car that's an EV car. And I don't know that, you know, we used to gas, we used to gas. We don't know about that. I was like, let me go to the Tesla. Tesla has a used inventory online. And like, they give you extra, they give you extra warranty and all this stuff. I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. I was like, but I knew I wanted it to look like this. I wanted it to look a certain way, whatever. So I manifested it. And I kid you not, like right before I leave on my birthday trip, the car pops up for the one that I want. I order it. It's available in Orlando. I could ship it to California. But when I come back, I'm like, I'm going to just drive across country. It's my 33rd birthday. I've never done a trip, cross country trip by myself. 
And what better way to do it than in my car that I just bought myself? So let's do this. And I utilize that as a very therapeutic drive, like just myself, like listening, understanding like, wow, you're doing this. Um, and so that was a big kickoff to the pandemic for me. So being in the pandemic, I'm already coming in a bit differently because of just the thing that I did for myself. Uh, and then I will say that I probably had like one or two dark days, like in the, in April. And then after that, after that, that was it. Right. And, and so I will say that I had to, I, but I had the wherewithal and the power to kind of just be like, okay, get yourself out of this. Like you got to shake it off. You got to kind of get this together because I hadn't been working out either. And that's a that's a therapeutic notion for me. And so I got on my Peloton. I started getting on my Peloton at the end of April and kind of was just committed to like making sure that I made time for myself to work out. I made time for myself to meditate and I made time for myself to start to cook because I find cooking to be very therapeutic as well. I just love and we have a great kitchen in my in our spot here in California. So I'm like, I love this. So this is great. And then all throughout that time, when I got to August, I think talking about the health piece, um, I recognized that, and and this is kind of like a thing that I really, I don't know if you guys have talked about this before in 20, December 26th, but like as a black woman, you know, and being in my thirties, we just are, we are prone for so many health disparities. I have a friend that found out at the, at the, in the middle of last year that she was diagnosed with breast cancer. Um, and you know, it just makes you start to reevaluate your health. So I went to the doctor uh, when I went back to visit New York and I found out that I had fibroids again, I had had fibroids in, in 2018, but I had fibroids again. Um, I was had like my heart. Um, I have a, a arrhythmia in my heart. So the card that you know, I needed to go see a cardiologist, just like crazy things that you're just like, I'm only 33. Like, what are we doing? So, um, when the doctor was like, and then I, and then I am predisposed for high blood pressure, but I don't know if you know this, but like a lot of times fibroids and high blood pressure are intrinsically linked as well. So, and a lot of people don't know about that. Like typically if you have fibroids, there's like a percentage of women that will also have high blood pressure in conjunction with that. Even though we don't know what's causing the fibroids, it could be in the things that we're eating. It could be our stressors. It could be a ton of things. Um, and so whether or not I could showcase that I'm not stressed on the outside, my body is telling me that there's something stressing me, right? Um, in my mind. And so I, the doctor was like, I'm going to put you on, um, they wanted to put me on high blood pressure meds. And that's really what changed my mind, my, my mentality. Cause I was like, my dad was on high blood pressure medication and actually, and I don't know if that's what caused his him to have kidney failure, but I was just triggered. So I was like, you know what, I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to start to eat differently and I'm going to do things my own way. Um, and I told my doctor, I said, when I come back to see you in November, if my blood pressure isn't lower and if I haven't lost X amount of weight, then I'll consider getting on um, the pills, like, you know, to take the meds or whatever. And so that is, in, you know, in the midst of me also making that commitment, because around that time in August, that's when I was like, okay, what's my exit strategy to get out of corporate, to get out of this world? And so I just, it was, that was kind of like the transformational moment really at the end of August, top of September, where I was like, I'm going to do all of these things. I'm going to get myself healthy physically and also mentally. Um, that's when I started meditating, you know, really like really intentionally meditating, not just one-offs like here and there. And then, uh, getting my workout regimen, just turning it up and running and just doing things that were different for the body to shock it. And so I came back, I had lost, you know, a, an ex exponential amount of weight in that amount of time. Um, and then I had also lowered my blood pressure and then I ended up getting surgery to remove the fibroids that they thought were only, they thought there was only like three fibroids in me. And when the doctor went in, there were 15 that mm. she took out. And so I think that 
you know, that shakes you up and you're just like, all right, cool. And then also thinking about as a, as a woman that I always, and I don't know if we, we talk about this, we'll talk about this today, but I am just such a, whenever I talk to women who are doing amazing things, like one of the women that I used to look up to was Andrea Nelson Meggs. She's Beyonce's um, agent, uh, married to John Meggs, who um, is actually my production company's uh, entertainment lawyer. He's our lawyer. Uh, But I think that when I talked to her back in the day and I was like, how do you do it? Like you're a top performing agent, you're a wife, you're a mother. How do you balance it? And she was like, she said, I'm not a wife. She's like, she's like, I don't look at my husband as like, she's like, I have a partner. And I think that that really changed my mentality when I think about what partnership look like, what, what having a mate looks like is looking for a partner. And so when I'm talking to my doctor and they're like, Hey, if you want, she's like, if you want to have, and we took these five words out, if you want to have a family, uh, you need to start thinking about that now because they're going to come back. And, you know, I don't know if we can operate on you again and not, you know, be, have to give you a hysterectomy. Right. So things like that. And so you're thinking, I'm like, I'm like, wait, I'm out here getting healthy. You out here trying to make me find a man. Like, you know what I mean? Like you're trying to, I'm like, cause you know, I want kids, right. I want to do it things a certain way, but I also want to do my career. I also want to just continue my trajectory. And so I think that a lot of things that's like all personal things. Those are all personal health things. Those are all things that are being pressed down on you. And it's a lot of self-introspection that you have to have to be like, all right, cool. So what do I need to do now? Right. I can continue to keep myself healthy enough where, you know, I can work my best to ensure that I'm not growing any more fibroids, right. To at least ensure it that way. Um, I can make myself emotionally available to be, to consider having a partner. But again, in that mentality, we're in a pandemic, you know what I mean? So how does that work? Uh, but then also thinking about my career. So I think to answer your question, it was like, you know, we, I went through things in 2020 for sure. Like, I mean, I was, I had to relearn how to, you know, when you get get the fibroid surgery where they cut you, like you got to relearn how to walk. Okay. Like you got to figure out how you can get up and move. And so, but those are the things and those are the stories. And I talk about July, I think is national fibroid month. And I remember I posted that, you know, my first fibroid surgery, they removed, I want to say they removed eight fibroids or they removed a considerable amount of fibroids. And one of them was 12 centimeters. And one of my um, former colleagues was looking at my story and she was like, oh my God, you just inspired me to go look, to go to the doctor. Um, and when I went to the doctor, the t- doctor told me that I have a fibroid that's like eight centimeters. And she's like, I'm going to figure out if I want to decrease it or I want to get it removed. And she was like, thank you for sharing your story. And so I'm never going to be the person that's embarrassed to talk about. I had some down moments last year. I had, you know, concerns of my health or my weight or my, or, you know, like, or my reproductive system, because I think that those stories inspire and encourage and keep it real. But that also doesn't mean that I wasn't successful in business. It also doesn't mean that I didn't have amazing times. I traveled during the pandemic that a lot of people didn't travel. Cause again, I kept that commitment because I told you I got to travel four times a year. So you know what I mean? But like, I knew what I needed to be my best self. And so even as we constantly search for the best versions of ourselves, um, the world still hits you. And there's still things that are unexpected. And that is I mean, I think if anything, I mean, the pandemic showed us that things are unexpected, right? So, but yeah, you know, I, we, I got through it though, and I'm still progressing and still maneuvering, but yeah, definitely was a balancing act of, um, just sorting through a lot of different things. Yeah. And I think we need to have more honest conversations as black women about health, about Mm -hmm. fertility, about Mm -hmm. maternal health what our outlook is and what, and get serious about what we want. Right. Yeah. Because I, I think um, 
oftentimes we are very bull by the horns in our, our careers. And yeah. I know I am. And I personally, with regards to romantic relationships, it's kind of been like, listen, like I'm just let the chips fall where they may, right? <laughs> right like we're right. going to see what happened. And, um, and, but getting older and having a doctor look at you and say, if you want to have kids, like you really need to start thinking about this and yeah. soon. Yeah. Put to, to your earlier point, it requires a lot of introspection and it puts things in a completely different perspective. Yeah. And for me, how that manifested was I had to be honest with myself, right? I was calling it like the art of surrender. Like, you know, if marriage happens, great. If it doesn't, I have all this other joy, right, in yeah. my life and all yeah. the other things that I'm I'm proud of. But I had to get honest with myself about are you are you hiding behind that narrative because this mm-hmm. feels like the one area of your life that you can't control? Mm. And that is a word. That is a word right there because I think that I, you know, I treat part, I treat relationships different because, you know, so real moment, right. As you say this, right. So I've never been an individual that did dating apps. I never Mm -hmm. had done them. And so in the pandemic, and it's actually interesting because we're having, we just had a business meeting yesterday about um, just apps and things like that. And it brought, it reminded me of the things that I did in 2020, because you know, you're bored you're inside the house. Like that, that, that song in the house board, in the house board board. I was like, yo, that was my life. Like, I love that. And so, um, but what I, what I, what I did last year is I was like, you know what? I'm not into this dating app thing because I believe that I'm going to meet my partner. My my, my sister, I think my sister is very clairvoyant. And she had said to me back in 2000, uh, I forget when she said it, but she was like, you've already met your husband. And she was like, it's just, you guys are just gonna have to reconnect. And I was like, okay. So I've always just thought about that in my mind being like, oh, I've already met him. So anything that I do now is just me just buying time basically, right? So I was like, you know what, let me do these dating apps. And when I say that I did an experiment where I joined, I'm talking about every app. I'm talking from Plenty of Fish to Tinder to some fetish app to Bumble to, I'm talking about every app, girl. And I did like, um, I did like a two- the three week, uh, expect on each, on each app and just like socket showcase, like kind of like what you're experiencing. And then you see the same people across different apps. And I did the pay, I did the paid membership. Cause I was like, I want to get the full experience. Right. And then I told myself, and I think, I, I think I joined in May and I said, I'll, and I think I, I did it from like May to August. Right. And so, and I remember, or maybe it was like May to September. And I, cause I, I think I maybe did like two to three, three weeks on each app basically. And I was just like, yeah, this isn't my life. This isn't my story because the individuals on these apps would never be able to speak to me in real life. Like they're not the individuals that are going to come up to you and give you access, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm just like, okay, cool. But I think the humbling moment there was like, I'm in a new city. I'm not in New York. Well, that's not like my stumping grounds. I'm in LA. I don't know anyone. I've been inside the entire time I've been here. Right. And so I'm like, how am I going to meet anybody? How am I going to have fun? What am I going to do? Like, what are we going to do? And so acts of, you talk acts of such surrender of like, you know, if it happens, it happens. It's also acts of desperation because you're like, yes, you know, what is happening here? But I think for me, the humility involved in that experience, as well as me reaffirming who you are. Like, I think that that was a term for me. Like I said to you, like, you know, star fear feed, you know, we need to like, we need to star fear and we need to feed faith. Um, star. I think for me, one of the things I had to tell myself over and over again in 2020 is remember who you are. Like, just remember who you are because 
the the world last year made us feel like I think I feel like a lot of us lost ourselves. Like we were inside. I mean, I I think about so many people in my six degree separation that committed suicide last year. Like there are so many crazy things that happened last year that I'm just like, remember who you are though. Remember who you are. And so for me, I was constantly reminded by different actions and different experiences and occurrences that I was like, remember who you are. And so when it comes to finding a partner or a partner and me interacting or aligning and engaging with one another, that is that one thing to your point. Cause I, I understand what you mean. Control is we control everything else. Like, you know what I mean? Like I control what my hair looks like. I control what I do here. I control this. You cannot control falling in love because right. first of all, love is already irrational. It don't make no sense. And so I think that once I remembered that I literally have to let go and literally let God, but also remembering who I am because I'm not going to be desperate because I want a partner, then I think that is where, you know, I've, I've been the most successful and the most fruitful in my dating experiences because of the, you know, just getting the intangibles in a relationship being like, oh, that works for me and a partner. I don't want to do that. That works for me. I don't want to do that. And listen, again, if I'm supposed to have children, I will have them. Like, you know what I mean? The female body is an incredible thing. My mother had my brother when she was 40 years old. So um, I know that, you know, things will happen in the way they're supposed to happen. And then also, if I can't physically birth the child, you know, I love what Gabrielle Union did. You know what I'm saying? Like, let me work as hard enough where I can afford a surrogate. You know what I'm saying? So things that I that I think about and let me know that there are, there are new ways to be able to still breathe life into this world and also be happy. I am not going to be, I am not going to force myself into falling in love so I can have a child just so I can have a child because the doctor said so, right? So I am going to do things the way that I, you know, that I know that's best for me and work in that path. And so if I can control anything, I can control that I am not going to be on someone else's timeline. Absolutely. And I'm glad you brought up the the dating app thing because another conversation that has lit up many of my text conversations is women who feel like dating apps are not the landscape for them. Uh-huh. But because we were stuck at home being like, well, right. I have to get on because what other right. option do I have? Right, right. And, you know, I've been, I'm, I'm not a fan of dating apps. I've been on at various right. stages of my life. And I went through, so I went through a timeline where I had like a drop dead date where I was like, I'm getting off these apps no matter what. Yeah. I think it was maybe like 2018 or something, 2017, uh-huh. 2018. I was like, I'm on these paid memberships. I had them aligned so that they all expired in the same day. Yeah. I was like, when that expiration date hits, yeah. whether I've met a suitable candidate or not, I'm done. Right. Like I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm off this. And so I'm that sure candidate, come on. <laughs> so I was like, and I, I wasn't like, pushing it or, you know, campaigning yeah. with anybody. I was just like, you know, if it happens this time frame, because right. it's also time consuming, like communicating with these people. Right. So I remember like going through that and, you know, met some some cool people who I had transitioned, you know, off the internet uh, with. And when that date came, I remember canceling everyone. And the with each one that I canceled, it was like the more liberated I felt, right? Okay. I was like, oh, like this, like I'm just done. And, but what it, the revelation for me was, this is not for you. Like you're doing it because this is what people say you should do because you're busy and you're all, and this was not during the pandemic and whatever. Um, you got to meet people. How are you supposed to meet people? If you're working all the time, if you're all, you know, and so at the time, you know, I was off that and stayed off that until last year, same conversation. People are like, what are you going to do? My therapist was like, what's your plan to meet Meet people, right? (laughs) So I was like, all right, you know, let me get back on. It's not going to be, I can't do a bunch. Let me just do one. Yeah. And 
interestingly, so when I found, when I started, it was a very different experience because there's a lot of men who would never be on a dating app who were mm-hmm. because they're in the same predicament. And they're right. right. Um, so I found that the conversations were, were a bit heightened. Yeah. Uh, and, but it wasn't anybody I was like, really like, you know, it was, yeah. it was, you could tell people were also like, wow, there are a lot of people on here who would normally be on here and had right. they, really the pick of just jumping around to a bunch right. of different people. Um, and I remember making this decision to be like, uh, it's a lot going on. You know, I, I think I'm done with this. It's right. not, again, it's not right for me, even with right. all these people and other people challenging me on that. Yeah. Like, why? You're 39, right? So that sounds 38 still, but yeah. you're 38. You have no time to right. waste, right? right? Why would you decide that you're not doing this when we don't know how long we're going to be in the house? And right. the reason I made the decision was because it wasn't feeding my spirit. Mm. Similarly, I, in my gut, I don't think that that's how I'm going to meet the, the love of my life. And further, I don't make decisions out of fear. So if that's the energy you're bringing to it, yeah, are you really going to get out of it something healthy anyway? Right. And that, and that's why I was talking about like, that's the act of desperation though, mm-hmm. right? Like you talk about like, oh, like we're going to, you're, you're talking about surrender. When you said that, I was like, absolutely let go of the control around this is the one thing I can't do. But also I'm not going to have desperation control me as well. And so when you said that, absolutely. I am completely aligned. It's like, mm-hmm. nah, that's not it. And honestly, what one of the things I always say is like, what's for me is for me. Like, right. you can't take that from me. And so whether it's delayed, it doesn't mean that it's denied. Like, it's not denial. Like, I'm just like, all right, cool. What is for me will meet me where I'm supposed to be. And so absolutely. But I think that bravo to you for not succumbing to the projections of fear that people were putting on to you. And you believe, you reminding who yourself, like reminding yourself that you know who you are and what works for you. You got off of it for a reason in 2018 and you got up for another reason in 2020 because you already knew. Like if anything, 2020 just reaffirmed to you what you already knew to be the truth. So absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And what I realized, and you you may feel this as well, is I don't consider myself like someone who has a public profile, right? Uh-huh. Of course. Like I get up every day, I do my yeah. job, I grind yeah. out, we have this show. But what I realized last year is there is a lot of information about me on the internet. Right? Yes. Um, yeah. By virtue of being a podcast host, by virtue yeah. of being someone who speaks, you know, yeah. who does all these things. So people were like listening to the show, like multiple episodes. So coming in with an understanding of what they think my personality is, right. who I am, just having all these pieces of information that yeah. I don't have, right? right. Um, so what it had showed me in, in that way, there's some intrigue from a lot of people, but also some people were making snap judgments. Like, you are you are in another league and no. Like, this yeah. is not for me. We're not on the same level. Like, you got same too much going word. on. Have you experienced that? You know what's crazy? My mother, there was a, there was a gentleman that I remember being interested in, um, who had kind of like resurfaced, uh, last year. Um, and, and I remember we were chatting, we know we were chatting and recommunicating or whatever. And there was a moment where I was like, you know, I, there was a moment where he said to me, he was like, you know, you're, he's like, you're, you're too good for me. Like, I'm not good enough for you. And I said, say less. Cause you know, and because literally like my mother said to me, she said, once a man tells you who he is, believe him. That's it. You know what I mean? Like, if you say that I'm not good enough for you, I'm not good enough. I mean, if you say that you're not good enough for me, 
then you're not good enough for me. And we just keep it stepping. And also even to add on to that, which I think is a delicate balance, my brother, uh, who, you know, he is, you know, he is 13 years younger than me, but you tell that man anything. He is my, he is the protector for both me and my sister. He is of the mindset. He's like, well, no man is ever going to be good enough for you, but you want the man that every day he wakes up striving to be good enough. Like, how can I work hard enough to be the man that this woman needs? But a man that just says out the gate, no, I'm not even going to try. I'm not even there. Like, that's not what you want. So listen, if a man is looking at you and he's he's sitting here doing his thorough research, trying to convince himself that he can do it, but recognizes deep down in his soul that he's not good enough, I w- God bless my guy. God bless. Yes. And let me put this PSA out there because I'm sure people try to hook you up, right? right. And I have like several wannabe matchmakers in my life. Right, right. And they will tell me these stories of like, mm-hmm. oh, I have this guy I want you to meet. He's yeah. X, Y, and Z. I'm like, cool. Sounds all right. That's fine. I, right. I'm open to that. I'm open to right. being hooked up. But then they'll come back and say, um, I gave him your stats. And he was like, nah, like I, she's <laughs> not, we're not at the same level. Like this isn't going to work. And then that wannabe matchmaker is now campaigning on my behalf. And it's like, don't do that. And that's my PSA. If you are trying to hook up a woman that you think is great, right? Right. And will be a great asset to somebody else and vice versa. And that that, that candidate says, nah, based on what you're telling me, no, thank you. Don't do any campaigning. Like, please do not. Like that, it's okay. You don't have to sell a woman, you know, you have to sell a man on a woman and vice versa. If you know, someone's not feeling it, you just, that's not the right way to go. Like just let, let thanks for trying, but let it go. Thank you. But, but no, thank you. Yeah. I also always say this too, that I want volunteers, you know, not recruits. I don't mm-hmm. want to have to recruit somebody to want to be here. So we need volunteers. That's what it is. Like, and the person that wants to be with you is going to willingly, it's like, what is the thing that the girl said? I volunteer myself as tribute. Like, that's what you want. Like, (laughs) volunteer yourself as tribute. Okay. That's where we are. We don't want recruits. Okay. So, uh, yeah, I think it's always very interesting, but you know, when in an open world, I'm meeting incredible individuals just based off of energy. You know what I'm saying? I'm not, in a space where like, I'm not engaging with incredible people. It's just me. I'm also aware of self-aware enough to know that at this age, like I could tell, you know, after one or two conversations, this ain't gonna work. You know what I'm saying? And we keep it stepping. And then I also, cause I think, I don't know if, any, if you've read the Celestine prophecy, but if you haven't, I definitely implore you to, or anyone that's listening or watching, but I, I truly believe that we misinterpret energies, right? Mm. So there might be a gravitational pull that I have with said individual and that might be misinterpreted as sexual energy. And it's not sexual energy. It might be that because we don't know all the levels of energy. Like there's so many different ways that we can read and understand what our energy is supposed to be with someone. And so because we have that energy, we're like, oh, I'm supposed to take this person to bed or I'm supposed to engage with them romantically. And it could just be, no, that's, you're supposed to accomplish a major task together. You're supposed to go into business together. Like you're supposed to do X, Y, Z together, but it is not supposed to be that that's supposed to be your romantic partner. And so maybe there are so many people that go down these paths that are truly just a misinterpretation of the energy that they have with a person. And they end up not really kind of accomplishing what they, what they, what they were brought together to accomplish. And I've done that so many different times. Like I have so many friends, especially male friends will be like, Oh, 
they see it going a different way. And I'm like, hey, that's actually not our, that's actually not our story because I'm aware. Like, I'm like, that's actually not our story. We're going to make this money together. We're going to accomplish this task together and we're going to have an incredible energy doing it. Right. And so I think that for me, that's another good notation as well when it comes to thinking about being paired with people uh, and people being like, oh, I really, there's something here. I'm like, you're right. There is something here. I feel it too. It's not that thing, but it is something. And I'm I'm really intrigued to figure out what it is as we, as we continue to build an organic relationship uh, that might be platonic um, for, the, for all intents and purposes. And not for nothing, I'm a firm believer in that, that people come into your life and we are meant to create together or yep. move the needle forward on this one thing. But I also, sometimes people mistake a divine, they mistake a trauma bonding for a, a divine connection. Ooh. And we don't talk about that enough, right? Because I was just reading about trauma bonding the other day. I don't know where I was reading it, but that is you. That is an unpacking. Have you talked about that already on like the show? Not on like, the show. Not like, on the show. Like that is a thing. Like people literally will link up because they have these shared experiences and they feed into them rather than conquering them. It's like, yep. and 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 they do it with shared experiences with individuals. And they're like, and they're like. Oh, we have this shared exchange. And so we're going to feed into your trauma. We're going to feed into mine and just kind of re-enlivening it. And it's like, nah, we want to strip it, shed it, and not ever breathe life into those traumas because they start to gain control. And that just makes for a toxic relationship. Yes. And I, I've had these conversations with so many people where like, we stayed up all night, you know, he lost his parents young. You know, I had this experience. And they're sharing all of these things yeah. that make them who they are. And not that that's always a red flag. Right. right. But it is true that sometimes you're bringing in all this baggage that's not being unpacked, but it's really giving you license yeah. to act a certain way because you understand, you each right. understand each other's experience. Right. And then before you know it, toxic toxicity has infiltrated. Yeah. You're like, I actually can't stand this person. Right. right? Because you just right. misinterpreted what that connection was and what yep. the draw was from the beginning. Yeah. So yeah, I'm yeah, I'm working on a whole a whole series around this and particularly around black love, which is we're going to talk about um, in a few weeks. But yes, I, this is a topic that is of utmost importance to me. And and I think I've done a, I've done a lot of internal work, continue to do that. Yeah, and it's important to understand who you are. And also, you know, I'll, I'll end this topic on, on this note because I could talk about this all day. Yeah. But also understanding the expectations you have of other people. And while I have done a lot of internal work and I expect my partner to have done the work and continue to do it, what I have learned is to extend myself grace as well. And because if I'm not extending grace to myself, there's no way I can extend that to a man. Delisha, I think that one of the things you, you said, two things that are really fire to me, right? So one, that you're doing the work, right? And so I think that if 2020, I said this to a few of my friends, I said, Therapists are going to have to figure out a way to, to, to coin the PTSD of 2020, right? Yes. Thinking about what that is and that experience. And I think that for me, when I was doing therapy, you know, I was really a strong component of figuring out what my toolkit was. What am I activating? What do I need to read? What do I need to, what are the things that I do, the measures that I take in order to kind of make sure that I am where I need to be? So if I don't have the consistency of, you know, finding a therapist is like finding a partner. It really yes. is. It really is. And I say this to people all the time. I'm like, and you got to find a partner. So like when I, my therapist, when I lost my therapist, it's like, okay, I'm not really in a place where I want to continue to date again. Right. So let me take the tools that I have and do the things that I know that I need to do. So 
whether it's journaling, whether it's talking to my 87-year-old phenomenal uncle who calls me every Tuesday as my unofficial therapist to unpack my world for me, or, or it's cooking, you know, figuring out what my toolkit is to be able, because I know that I, I have things that are important to me to unpack daily because there are things that I know, you know, I'm aware of what my traumas are. I know what my triggers are. I got eight or nine triggers and I know what they are. And I literally... I, I reflect on them, not because I give control into them, but I want to make sure that if I have a rage, if I want to have a rage reaction to something, is it is it a d- direct connection to a trigger that's been activated, right? And so having all that for what you said about the work, and then you talk about you want a partner that has also done the work. You know, for me, I made uh, I made the I made the promise to myself in 2019 that I was no longer, or excuse me, the top of 2020 that I would never date a I would no longer date a man who was not in therapy. Like, or had done therapy. He's either had to have done therapy or be, or be in therapy because I think it's unfair and just not okay that I've sat here and done all this work on myself and you still have things that you haven't worked on and you have traumas, especially because I want a black man and black men are naturally entrenched to trauma. Like, it's just not, it's impossible. Like they go through so much, just like we go through so much, but they go through so much, like whether it's toxic masculinity, whether it's just dealing with different imbalances and inequities that they deal with at work. It's like, and I want to be still your therapist as your partner because we have that balance and that connection. But I also want a a licensed individual to also walk you through and help you understand. So when I say to a man, do you know what your triggers are? He knows what I'm saying. Like he knows what I, he knows how to answer me. And so, because you're not going to set me up for success to be your partner if you can't tell me what your triggers are. Cause I'm going to keep, I'm going to keep, it's a landfill. I'm going to keep stepping on these mines, not knowing that that was your trigger. So um, I think that I'm excited about your black love um, series and the conversations. I think that's important. I think that bravo to you. And I think that, as you said, don't, don't, don't short, like don't, don't sell yourself short and thinking that wanting a man that has done the work or it's in the work presently is too much to ask because there are a lot of individuals that are who I know, especially black men who are in therapy rather recently or have been in it. And I think that it's just, it should be a mandatory, like we as black individuals go through so much trauma. So even if you just do it for a bit and you figure out what it is and that's not you or whatever it is, you know, make the commitment to have a conversation. So I just wanted to call that out because I think that we need to celebrate individuals who have either done the work or are doing the work. For sure. And I'm optimistic. I think all of us creating these platforms, the work that you're doing, the the millions of shows online, our podcast. So we're really talking about our own humanity and fragility and vulnerability and all those things. I do think the stigma in a lot of ways is lifting. It's, it's going to take time. So I feel I feel good about where, where we're headed as a community. Yeah. And do I feel like yeah, there's some delayed gratification on the you know the relationship front? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I'm a human being, but I I think the wait is going to be worth it, and I and I'm firm believe that the latter is going to be greater. You know, and for having done the work and for waiting for someone who's who's done and is doing as well. Um, but the one question we've been asking everyone is now you, you've been moving and shaking during the, the quarantine, but when outside is fully open, the restrictions are lifted, we've reached herd immunity, we can uh-huh. really move in a way that we did prior to all of this. What's uh-huh. the first thing you're doing? Well, I've, I, I've already been doing it. You know what I mean? Like I went to college. That's why I, I prefaced it. Like, like, you can like, do one stuff. I went to Jamaica in October for my sister's birthday. I went to Cabo in December, Tulum in February. I went to Puerto Vallarta in March. Like I've been outside, girl. Um, but <laughs> but I think things that I'm looking forward to for this year, right? Um, I have a few, I have 
my some of my line sisters are getting married. I have a few weddings, so excited about going to the weddings um, that were postponed from last year. I'm excited. I'm looking forward to taking my mom. It's my mom's 60th birthday this year. So I want to take her to Australia and New Zealand. And then uh, I want to go to Lagos and Zanzibar in December. So those are things that I am looking forward to um, for this year as it relates to kind of just like traveling outside. Just last night, I um, had the opportunity to celebrate with some of my close friends here in Los Angeles. And, you know, I told I was like, listen, we outside. Everybody get dressed. Everybody get fly. I want to, I want everybody to know that all my girls is bad. Like all of that. Like, so I wanted everyone, I wanted to, I wanted the injection of reminder that, you know, you are bad. Like you are amazing. You are fully well-prepared in connection. Y'all been in the gym. Y'all been working. Let these people see what we're doing. And so to be able to do that last night with them was, was incredible. And that was something that has truly been a highlight for me, uh, so far with the slow progression of, um, openness, um, that we're walking into. And that connection with your village, I took it for granted before before the pandemic, just to Something, have a night right? out, just yes. to talk and, you know, shoot the breeze and vents and be fly yes. and all of that for sure. So yes. kudos to you because I have not been on vacation. I can't remember. Like that's <laughs> how long it's been, like a real luxurious vacation because I, yeah. I made the mistake of, of sacrificing that. Not because I didn't have the resources pre-pandemic. I was just so right. busy. I was like, I, yeah. I don't have time. I'm focused yeah. on other things. Right. And think, so coming into 2020 burnt out and then being, like I realized to your point that that, and it's a revelation I had during the last year. I need that. It's yeah. not a luxury. It's a necessity yeah. for me. <laughs> to show up as my best self. That's I have to go to like, exotic, yeah, exotic places. Yeah. Sun, sand. All of it. Absolutely. All of it. I was like, this, figure out your things, like figure out your toolkit that helps you be your healthiest version. Like that is therapeutic for me to be outside near the ocean in a place. Like, you know, I have all these goals to continue. You know, I, we talked about it before. Like I want to travel to a different country, to four different countries a year. And like, you know, thinking through that piece and I'm like, all right, cool. So not only accomplishing a goal, but also being able to feed and breathe life into myself, you know? So I'm looking for it for you to turn up and go out here yes. and uh, get in the sun because we miss you, girl, because I've been out there and they told me they miss Listen, you. Listen, it's, it's got to happen. I'm, I'm, I'm looking at flights now, looking at some, you know, nice fly places to go. Yes. It is definitely time. I'm a whole different foundation cover. That's a color. That's how long I've been inside. No. My foundation doesn't even match anymore. I'm no, like, it's a this problem. become too dark. Like, it's a problem. <laughs> so I know you're off LinkedIn, obviously, but yeah. where can people find you online? Yeah. So, well, I'm on the Malcolm Inc. website that we uh, launched uh, when we did our announcements a couple of weeks ago. I have social media, I have Instagram, but really, I mean, you can email me if you want to talk to me or have any questions. It's just India at listenupmedia.co um, where, you know, if you guys want to talk about anything that pertains to Malcolm or people want to talk about um, production pieces that they have, they have a story to tell, they can reach out and we can see if we can make something happen. Listen, creators, you got a direct line. Right. And you know, we on this show, we are committed to growing together. Right? Yes. We, we yes. always, people have this thing where they're trying to chase the biggest name or the people they think could make something happen the quickest and give them the most exposure. I look forward to as we grow and progress as a 26er community, being able to say, oh, I knew her before she even started that. Like, yes. you know, like we, we yeah. go way back. So yeah. I encourage people, creatives, those, even if you just want information, have a conversation, 
reach out to India. There's no doubt that there's going to come a time where it's going to be harder to get you on uh, <laughs> in these conversations. Yeah. So do what you need to do. Stay connected. Support the work, folks, when it comes out. Support what she's doing. Yeah. You know what else to do. If you enjoyed this episode, like, share, subscribe, tell somebody about it. And as always, remember to be extraordinary on an ordinary day. Take care. Yes. Thank you for listening to the December 26th podcast. I am your host, Delisha. This episode was produced by Demarcus Adisa and music was provided by Thovo. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at December 26th. That's December 26ER. 